the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning. Seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're underway on AM 1420. The answer, it's Tuesday, the 17th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Coming up on the program, we are very heavy with Senate candidates, all with thoughts on Afghanistan and what it means to this country's big picture, overall, long-term safety and security, and what it means to our place in the world. Because it matters. Our place in the world is in serious jeopardy now because of what is going on in Afghanistan. When I say our place, I'm talking about our credibility. I'm talking about our trust. I'm talking about the relationship we have we have with our allies and the fear that we once used to inspire in our enemies. All of that is up in the air now, and we're going to get points of view from uh, three members of the U.S. Senate race for the Republican uh, primary coming up in about uh, half an hour we're going to talk to josh mandel he'll be first up he's a former marine he uh, issued a statement yesterday about afghanistan would like to be heard on that coming up at ten ten, mike gibbons uh will be joining us mike gibbons of course is also a senate candidate he has also indicated in a uh, uh, a um willingness and a desire to speak out on Afghanistan and national security, so I promised him some space. Then at 10.35, J.D. Vance, also a Senate candidate, he has indicated that he's got something to say. He is also a Marine veteran, by the way, served in the Iraq War. So we've got a couple of Marine veterans, we've got a highly successful American businessman, and we've got all of them fighting for this Senate race. The reason we're going to talk to them, though, isn't about the race per se, although you may draw from the interviews I do with them what you will and use that as you decide for whom you would like to vote uh, in the upcoming uh, primary. 
So we will talk to Mandel, Gibbons, and Vance today. And uh, you know what that means. It means there's no room for Kirstenau. And the reality of the situation is I only booked some of these interviews because Peter Kirstenau is on vacation this week and unreachable. So Peter will be back with us next week. So no Kirstenau, but plenty of very important conversation about national security and, again, about America's place, America's role, America's reputation in the world. We're going to start with some very important audio, but not until we say our Pledge of Allegiance. Friends, patriots, please stand. Put your hand over your heart. If you have a flag nearby, please face it. If you do not, that's okay. Liberals, go ahead and stay on your knees. We know that's that's where you prefer the United States to be uh, in deference to the rest of the world. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, my friends and fellow patriots. So yesterday I told you I was just blown away by the uh, willingness of the far-left, Democrat-water-carrying media to actually tell the truth for a change, to, change, to practice journalism. Uh, leftist reporters on CNN, on MSNBC, on NBC, and from the New York Times, among others, all criticizing the Biden administration's handling of the Afghanistan American troop pullout. Uh, yesterday, it continued. I talk, this happened over the weekend, and then yesterday it continued, and I want to share more of this. Joe Biden came out and took a time out from his little vacation, delivered a ridiculously self-serving speech while pretending to be to take ownership of his speech, or excuse me, of the um, uh, of the uh, fiasco involving the U.S. troop pullout of Afghanistan and the disaster at our embassy. Um, it was awful. It was awful. He was on his little vacation, so he came back to D.C., delivered an address, and then turned around would not take one question from a reporter because he knew that for the first time, certainly since he's been president, and probably for the first time going back to his time as in eight years as vice president for Barack Obama, he was not going to receive a bunch of friendly, hey, what's your favorite, uh, favorite ice cream flavor questions? Even liberal reporters were going to hammer him. So he turned, tucked tail, and walked away. But not before trying to invoke Harry Truman and declaring that the buck stops with me. In his little ridiculous speech, Joe Biden tried to declare that the buck stopped with him, that it's his responsibility, but the entirety of the speech was finger-pointing and blaming of other people. Most importantly of Afghan fighters saying they weren't willing to fight. Now, there's so much here to cover. I'm going to try to give you as many different voices on this as possible, including some of those, as I mentioned before, left-wing journalists who suddenly found their voices and maybe found something else in themselves as they realize how unfit this doddering old fool is to be commander-in-chief. Here's Jake Tapper after the speech on CNN. You've been listening to President Biden speaking at the White House, forced to talk about the worsening crisis in Afghanistan, forced to speak uh, to the nation after the calamity of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. The president stated that he stands squarely behind the decision he made to withdraw all U.S. forces from Afghanistan, even though he has, in fact, been forced to send roughly 6,000 back in. 
the president saying, in fact, that if anything, the events of the last few days, this foreign policy and humanitarian disaster, proves to him that he made the right decision, given the fleeing of Afghan politicians from the country and the collapse of the Afghan military. The president said that the buck stopped with him, but in fact, this speech was full of finger-pointing and blame, especially for the Afghans, even saying that while the U.S. would be working to rescue those Americans and U.S. allies who needed to be saved, he claimed part of the reason why the U.S. did not save sooner Afghan allies, the translators and others who worked with the U.S. military, who fear being slaughtered by the Taliban, they didn't act sooner, the president said, because some Afghans, he claimed, did not want to leave earlier because they were hopeful about a new Afghan government. Mr. Biden also said that the Afghan government discouraged the U.S. from ordering a mass exodus uh, for fear of triggering a crisis of confidence, the president said. Mr. Biden also focused on the larger decision to end the U.S. presence in Afghanistan. That was, in fact, his larger focus, whether or not the U.S. should continue to be there. He did not really get into or accept any blame for the catastrophic exit that we have been watching on television. And those are two very different things. One is the decision to get out of Afghanistan, which is one that former President Trump supported as well. That's the argument that Biden keeps making. But it's not about the decision to get out of Afghanistan. The issue here is the utter chaotic fiasco, the, the devastatingly incompetent uh, uh, withdrawal that Biden oversaw, saying that it would never happen that the Taliban wouldn't come and swarm in and swoop over the, uh, uh, the American embassy and it wouldn't just come in and take over all parts of, of Afghanistan, including the capital city. They don't have enough people to do that, blah, blah, blah. It was just an absolute disaster that has put not only American, but Afghan allies' lives, allies rather, Afghan allies' lives in serious danger. Now, I, I mentioned that, you know, like I said, the left-wing media yesterday largely continued to slam Joe Biden because there's really no way to defend this. That's just the reality of the situation. Uh, but not all of them. And I want to—I want you to hear this next clip for two reasons. The first is for Brian Williams, the former NBC nightly news anchor who essentially was disgraced to the weekends uh, and uh, assigned to you know MSNBC because of his manufacturing of uh, false details in in stories that he allegedly covered. Well, he is on MSNBC. And he was interviewing Matt Zeller. Now, I told you about Matt Zeller yesterday, U.S. Army veteran, who is a strong Biden supporter, by the way. He is calling. He knows Afghanistan inside and out, and he is calling for the Biden administration to reverse course. He is calling for the Biden administration not to abandon these people. But more importantly in this clip, he is calling for Brian Williams to stop lying about Joe Biden actually accepting responsibility for what's happening here. Listen to this destruction of left-wing host Brian Williams. So I'm curious to hear your reaction of this consequential speech by the American president. Didn't run from it. He owned it. He owned his decision. He owned the fact that, as he put it, the buck stops with him. I hope he gets to own their deaths, too. I, I, don't, I feel like I watched a different speech than the rest of you guys. I was appalled. There was such a profound, bold-faced lie in that speech. The idea that we planned for every contingency, 
I have been personally trying to tell this administration since it took office. I've been trying to tell our government for years that this was coming. We sent them plan after plan on how to evacuate these people. Nobody listened to us. They didn't plan for the evacuation of our Afghan wartime allies. They're trying to conduct it now at the 11th hour. The thing that they were most concerned about was the optics of a chaotic evacuation. Well, they got exactly what they were most concerned of by failing to do what was right when we could have done it. We had all the people and equipment in place to be able to save these people months ago, and we did nothing. I'm appalled that he thinks that we only need to take 2,000 people. There's 86,000 people who are currently left behind in Afghanistan alone. We've identified all of them for the government. I have no idea why they, 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 he claims that people don't want to leave Afghanistan. I have a list of 14,000 names right now of people who want to get out of Afghanistan. And the idea that the Afghan military should be blamed for this, do you know how many casualties the Afghan military took in an average year? More than the United States did in 20. When you're not getting paid on a regular basis, when you're not getting fuel, when no one is supplying you with ammunition, and yet you're still showing up to the fight, how dare us for having to blame these people for not having the audacity to be able to survive a Taliban onslaught? No, no, no. What we need to be doing right now, and what I am appalled that the president didn't say, was we need to be talking about how we're going to get every single one of these people out. You can hear the passion in the voice of former Army Lieutenant Matt Zeller there, calling Joe Biden to task, taking him to task for his extraordinary statement during that speech yesterday, blaming the Afghani uh, security forces for not wanting to fight. After he delivered his speech, this showed up on his Twitter feed, President Biden's, quote, American troops cannot and should not be fighting and dying in a war that Afghan forces are, by and large, not willing to fight and die in themselves. As Matt Zeller just said, to call these people cowardly in such a way when they have suffered and lost so much in the fight is it's beyond the pale. Uh, Beckett Adams wrote this just to kind of remind President Trump, or excuse me, President Biden, of the reality of the situation. Roughly 66,000 Afghan national military and police have died fighting the Taliban since 2001, compared to 2,448 U.S. service members killed in the same period. Yeah, cowards, the lot of them. And that is very, very appropriate. Now, of course, that is not intended in any way to slight any one of the 2,448 U.S. service members. That's 2,448 too many. We wish we didn't have to send anybody into Afghanistan after we were hit in 9/11, on 9-11. But of course we had to. And the fighting that was done there was largely done by Afghan military forces. 66,000 of them have died. And for Joe Biden to step up there and say they're not willing to fight, so the hell with them. It's going to leave a terrible taste in a lot of people's mouths. This man is simply and wholly unfit to serve as Commander-in-Chief of the United States Armed Forces. I've got a lot more for you after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 923, we continue our analysis of uh, exactly where we are in the world right now with respect to Afghanistan and where we are with national security, where we are with the threat of radical Islamic jihadi terrorism now that al-Qaeda is being reborn. Al-Qaeda is being reborn because Taliban, the Taliban, rather, government is going is uh, on, in the verge, on the verge and in the process of, I guess is a better way to say it, 
uh, taking over that country again. This, of course, is the same organization that trained and funded the al-Qaeda operatives who ended up attacking us on September 11th, 2001. Yesterday, Joe Biden gave a speech about the chaotic and embarrassing withdrawal of American troops uh, that have allowed the Taliban to take over. He proceeded to say he's blaming no one. The buck stops with him. And then he proceeded to blame everyone except himself. He blamed Donald Trump. He blamed Mike Pompeo. He blamed uh, the Afghan fighters. I want to give you a little bit more now from Matt Zeller, the former Army lieutenant, who is a strong Biden supporter. Uh, you heard him a few moments ago, his passion in his voice about trying to do something to save those um, Afghan fighters who are going to be executed, who are going to be have their families destroyed, have their wives and daughters raped and become sex slaves and all the other horrific things that are done by these type of terror organizations. He is saying we owe it to them to save them. We owe it to them to rescue them. And he's got a personal story. Uh, Matt Zeller, this army lieutenant, his interpreter while he was in Afghanistan saved his life. It's these interpreters or aides or allies to the Americans that are public enemy number one of the Taliban, and it's why they're going to be targeted. Listen. Matt, our friend Paul Rykov tweeted a couple hours ago that 6,000 troops are not adequate to do what you just described, which hopefully is still the mission of this administration. Tell me what the operation looks like if adequately staffed and funded. I've been saying for a very long time we need to send the entirety of the 82nd Airborne back in. We're sending, it seems to be a a small fraction of it thus far. We probably need to send the 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force. These are two units that we keep on 48-hour recall. We should be retaking every single airfield that we just gave up. Look, I know this sounds ridiculous and it's not politically feasible, but these are our people. We made these people a promise. The Taliban are now actively killing them. And if we don't take them, they're going to die. And that's the thing is we have the means to do this. We have just simply lacked this entire time the courage and conviction to do the right thing. And I am not going to sit and listen to a president that I voted for. I was happy that this man took office. I'm now appalled at that, this, at that speech. I'm not going to sit here and have him lie to the American people. We did not plan as a government for this contingency. That's as strong as it gets. I voted for this man. I was glad he took office. Now I am here to tell you uh, he's lying to the American people, and I won't have it. He did not plan for this, this contingency. The Biden administration cannot handle this. Mark Teason declared this uh, botched Afghani withdrawal or withdrawal of American forces from Afghanistan, turning the nation over to the terrorists at the Taliban, the most shameful thing that he's ever seen in his entire career in Washington. And one of the things we did in Afghanistan in 2015 is we were not their nation building. We were not even fighting the war. What we were doing was we were providing them what what Jack Keane described on your show earlier. We were providing them with intelligence, mission planning, and air support. And they couldn't, it's clear they couldn't defend the country without that. Name me a U.S. ally anywhere in the world who could. Do you think South Korea could defend itself against a North Korean invasion without the U.S. military there? If they could, then we should get out. Do you think Taiwan could defend itself against the Chinese invasion without the U.S. military? Japan, Germany, any of these countries could have defended Germany could have defended itself against the Soviet invasion. Ukraine could defend itself against Russia. No U.S. ally in the world could defend itself without some sort of level of U.S. support. That's why we have troops stationed in Korea. That's why we have troops in Japan. That's why we had troops in Germany during the Cold War to prevent a Soviet invasion over the Fulda Gap. So all these people running around 
blaming the Afghan army because we abandoned them and then saying they didn't fight is just shameful. It's victim shaming. It's victim shaming, and I think he's right. He's making a strong case for putting troops back into Afghanistan and having a permanent base there. The way we have a permanent base in Germany. The way we have a permanent base in Japan. The way we have a permanent base in Korea. Because what he said is true. None of those nation security forces would be able to fight off their bigger, larger aggressor, whether it be, as you heard, China or the former Soviet Union or Russia or what have you. None of them would be able to fight them off without the presence of American troops there as well. In an advisory capacity, in a training capacity, in a support capacity, not as a frontline fighter capacity. So why are we in all of those other countries but refusing to stay? And, and especially in a, in a situ, in a, in a 2021 type of world where radical Islamic terrorism continues, it's just waiting for a chance to resurface and to revisit, uh, upon, you know, innocent people in the West, uh, their horrors. Why would we not at least make sure the Taliban doesn't take over by keeping our security force there? Mark Thiessen makes a great point, as does Sky News host Alan Jones. I'm going to go across the pond because this is perhaps what we found out yesterday listening to Joe Biden, the most obvious takeaway from it. Yeah, look, just before we go, this Afghan Afghanistan surrender will have enormous ramifications. We now face a more unsafe world with the militant Islamist Taliban more emboldened than ever. And there are concerns amongst many in the U.S. security establishment that the world will once again see a rise of terrorist attacks. On July 8th this year, Biden was asked whether the withdrawal of troops would be similar to that of what we saw in Vietnam. He replied in his usual incoherent way, these exact words, none whatsoever, zero, the Taliban is not the South, the North Vietnamese army, they're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being airlifted off the roof of an embassy of the United States from Afghanistan. Can't even string a bloody sentence together. Biden is utterly unfit to be the President of the United States. And it blows my mind how world leaders like Scott Morrison and Boris Johnson suck up to such an intellectually bereft individual. The last word must go to the Wall Street Journal editorial board. President Biden's statement on Saturday, they say, washing his hands of Afghanistan deserves to go down. It's one of the most shameful in history by a commander-in-chief at such a moment of American retreat. It went on. As the Taliban closed in on Kabul, Mr Biden sent a confirmation of US abandonment that absolved himself of responsibility, deflected blame to his predecessor, and more or less invited the Taliban to take over the country. This is a- Those words, I think, um, are as accurate and as uh, important as any offered by any American media. It took a Brit to say the words that needed to be said here. Joe Biden is utterly unfit to be the President of the United States. He is utterly unfit to be the Commander-in-Chief of the United States military. We're going to talk to a former member of that military, retired Marine and now U.S. Senate candidate Josh Mandel. He will be joining us next on AM 1420, The Answer. On October 2nd, 2008, Joe Biden stated, How we leave Afghanistan makes a big difference. Today we are seeing the result of Joe Biden's ineptness and failure as a leader. If Biden would have followed President Trump's strategic plan to withdraw in May, 
Today would not be going down in history as Saigon 2. Those are the words of Josh Mandel, two-term, two-term Iraq War, or excuse me, two-tour Iraq War veteran, uh, retired U.S. Marine, now Senate candidate, also former uh, treasurer in the state of Ohio, now U.S. Senate candidate. Uh, he issued a statement yesterday speaking out on what is happening in Afghanistan. He joins us now to explain a little bit further. Josh, good to talk to you this morning. How are you, sir? Hey, Bob. Always good to be on. Well, thank you, first of all, for your service. Uh, you know, we, we try to say that all the time to veterans, but sometimes we forget. Uh, but certainly on a day like today, we want to say that because that was a big part of your statement yesterday as well. In addition to condemning the utter incompetence of the Biden administration and the way they are handling this, this national embarrassment, you, uh, you wanted to make a point of talking about the 2,400 Americans who lost their lives in Afghanistan, right? Correct. Yeah, I think it's important for us to take a step back and think about all these families who lost their sons and daughters and their moms and dads and are growing up without a dad or, you know, without a son or without a mom. And, you know, I I just think it's so important that we pay tribute. And what I said in my statement was, you know, a lot of young kids, while, while there were Marines and soldiers and others serving in Afghanistan, a lot of their buddies back home, same age, they were just sitting home playing video games or watching TV or going to bars. And, you know, I don't fault them for that, but they were living under and enjoying the blanket of freedom that these soldiers and Marines provided. And what I said in my statement yesterday was, I believe the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines who raised their hand after September 11th and said, you know, I'm, I'm going over there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for my country, they stood up in the spirit of Isaiah from the Bible Isaiah 6, 8, and they said, here I am, send me. Yeah, that was a powerful line too, Josh, and I uh, I certainly appreciated reading that in your statement. I want to talk about planning here, and I want to talk about strategy, and I want to talk also about the heroism of the Afghan fighters. Um, one of the points that Joe Biden said yet made yesterday when he returned from his little uh, vacation to make a statement without taking one single question from a suddenly aggressive press that actually remembers what journalism is, uh, because they are condemning this even on the left. But one of the things that he said was is that we shouldn't expect Americans to go over there and fight when the uh, Afghani uh, security forces themselves will not fight. A lot of people took a lot of great offense at that. 66,000 Afghani soldiers and, uh, and, and military police have lost their lives in the last 20 years trying to rout the Taliban and get them out of power uh, to preserve and protect people uh, in that country. How did you feel about Biden's characterization that our allies there, the ones who fought alongside the American troops against the Taliban, are, are essentially cowards who ran away? I think Biden is is dead wrong. You know, he 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 never served, and you know, I think he had a bunch of draft deferments for asthma or something else. And listen, that was something that was happening during Vietnam, whatever. But oh, after World War II, Bob, there was, I believe, it was if not a majority, it was close to a more majority of the House and the Senate were World War II vets. And I think we need to get back to a place where there's less lawyers and more veterans in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate. And when you have the Congress and the Senate full of people who've worn the uniform and served their country, um, they will view 
whether it's the Afghani soldiers or others, they'll, they'll view them in a different light um, because war fighters respect war fighters. You know, when I was in Iraq in the Marine Corps on my second tour in Iraq and in Ambar province, we were doing joint foot patrols with the Iraqi police. I mean, we'd have Marine, Iraqi, Marine, Iraqi. We were in the same foot patrol. And, you know, there were so many Marines and soldiers doing the same thing in Afghanistan and, you know, with the Afghanis. And, and for Biden to basically call them out after, you know, they've given, you know, blood to the tune of 66,000 of their sons and fathers, it's, uh, it's just vile. But it also, in my mind, exhibits a commander in chief who doesn't understand the modern day warfighter, doesn't understand the mind of of the men and women on the ground and frankly is just sort of checked out from reality we are talking with josh mandel as uh, you know he is a uh, uh marine veteran uh, served two tours in iraq we're talking about what's going on in afghanistan so biden is trying to change the discussion and so are his uh, allies in the state department tony blinken yesterday uh, and others trying to change the discussion from how they carried out this withdrawal of the troops which has led to the taliban just swarming in and taking over to the decision to get out in general saying that you know we've been there for 20 years how many more how much more blood how much more treasure has to be sacrificed for an unwinnable war for a civil war etc and that debate has been going on for a very long time a lot of people have said we should have gotten out in 2002 2003 after we initially you know went in there and, and and ran the taliban off um, where are you on that part of this? Uh, Biden, again, yeah, I'm not defending him, of course, for his deflection, for the terrible way they have carried out the withdrawal, but since he continues to make this the issue, that we should get out, that has divided a lot of Americans for the last 20 years. Where are you on that, Josh? I think a withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan is actually overdue. I supported the Trump strategic withdrawal plan to withdraw the troops in May. And when Biden, when he announced that he was going to extend our military's time in Afghanistan and push the withdrawal to September 11th, I actually came out right at that moment when Biden made that announcement and said, listen, this is, this guy's trying to do something for politics. I think he wants some type of like momentous imagery of pulling out on September 11th. And what he ended up doing by playing politics instead of being the commander in chief is that he cost American lives. And he is completely responsible for the debacle that's ongoing before our eyes in Afghanistan right now. Uh, and so, you know, for Secretary Blinken or President Biden to somehow conflate the issues of the withdrawal and the execution of withdrawal, it's just insulting to the American people. But, but listen, Bob, I, I believe Amer- the American people, we are smart um, we have good instincts, we have good common sense, and we've got great BS detectors. And I think the BS detectors of the you know, average American right now is going off where, you know, with watching Biden and Blinken trying to, to really change the subject. And, uh, you know, I, I think whether, listen, when, yesterday watching these images on TV or online, you know, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, vegetarian, you know, whatever stripe and party you come from, there there was no one yesterday watching these images that thinks that, you know, Biden got this right. Um, 
And it, it's just, and, and let me tell you something else, Bob. No one wants to talk about this on TV, but we got to be asking the question. Were it not for all the time and energy and focus over the past few months in the military on pushing critical race theory and pushing transgenderism and pushing wokeness, if it weren't for like, all that time and energy and focus on that, would we be watching this debacle in Afghanistan right now? Like if they would have taken all of that time, energy, focus, money on pushing wokeness, transgenderism, and critical race theory, and instead just focused it on an effective withdrawal from Afghanistan, I don't think we're, we're looking at the Saigon Part 2 that we're looking at right now. I think it would have been a totally different situation. I completely concur. Uh, that is something I think our military is in probably its weakest position in terms of having to fight a war if uh, one became necessary right now than maybe in my lifetime, uh, maybe ever, uh, because they do. Uh, this is a very, very different military. It's led by a commander-in-chief that does not believe in its mission. It's led by a, a defense secretary in Lloyd Austin who believes everything that you just said, that it's more about uh, cultural wokeism and uh, social justice than it is military preparedness so i completely concur but i want to go back to the issue of a withdrawal now you said you think it's long overdue and you're not alone a lot of people say that i have said that but then on other days you know some maybe just call them my democrat days for some reason because that means i flip-flop and become uh, hypocritical i have heard and listened to and made arguments that saying no we do need to be there um and so let me ask you about this. Mark Thiessen uh, is a former speechwriter for President Bush, so he's one of those who helped counsel President Bush, of course, when we made the first incursion into Afghanistan in November of 2001 after the attack. Mark Thiessen said yesterday about this, no U.S. ally in the world can defend itself without some level of U.S. support. That's why we have troops in Korea. It's why we have troops in Japan. It's why we have troops in Germany. It's why we have troops in places all over the world where potentially worse actors and you know bigger threats to worldwide freedom exist and uh, they would overrun those territories if it weren't for the presence of at least some small security forces a base in each of these types of places so if we can keep troops in those places josh mandel um, why not keep a base and a certain level of american troops in afghanistan the answer to that is because of mission creep you know the the military and especially the generals, they they spend their career in the military and they're rising and rising and rising and trying to be a general. And then when it's their shot, they want to prosecute war. Like that is their thing. They push it because they want their 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 bite at the apple to lead men in war. And so when you have even small bases or small installations it just turns into mission creep where the generals end up convincing the the civilians at the Pentagon or in the White House, well, we got to expand just a little bit, just a little bit more. Okay, now we're going to go from being a security force to a kinetic force. Okay, now we're going to do foot patrols. Now we're going to do vehicle patrols. And then all of a sudden when you have foot and vehicle Josh, patrols, let, you need let air me cover. interrupt for one second just just to kind yep. of, you know, because and I, and I certainly don't want to disagree with you. I just want to ask you to kind of consider this in the context. That hasn't yep. happened though in a lot of the other places. For example, in Korea, one might think in South Korea we've got bases there that with all of the aggressive actions of Kim Jong Un and his father mm-hmm. Kim Jong Il and the missile testing, nobody pushed mission creep 
creep there and said, hey, we've got to do something here to dissuade this from continuing. They just, they knew their role, they know their role, rather, and they just stay there as the force they need to to make sure that the North Koreans didn't invade South Korea and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So in other places where we have stationed troops in, in former war zones of ours, um, that mission creep hasn't happened. So what makes you think it would in this case? Well, I think it did happen in Iraq, right? So the the Iraq war happened 2003, you know, the march to Baghdad. The U.S. soldiers and Marines marched up Highway 1 and took Baghdad relatively quickly. And then the U.S. military started opening up bases everywhere. You know, they opened up bases in Baghdad, in Mosul, in al-Assad, and like all over, whether it was near the Syrian border or the Iranian border or the Jordanian border or central Iraq. And they just kept opening more and more and more bases. And the argument the generals made was, well, we just have to secure this place and secure that place, and like pretty soon we're going to pass it off to the Iraqis. And that pretty soon ended up being a decade. Uh, and and so I think that's an example of you know mission creep at its worst. But frankly, okay. Vietnam, you know, that was you know where Vietnam started to where Vietnam ended up. It was a ton of mission creep in between driven by generals who I think convinced a lot of, you know, a lot of politicians and and civilians. And so it's your point on Korea. There's obviously examples to the contrary as well. And I agree with you that Korea uh, is probably a a good example of the U S military, not engaging in mission creep. But, you know, I I think if you, you know, if, if we all looked at sort of the mindset and the psychology of the general officer and the military, they are generally into military adventurism Mm -hmm. um, when they get to that higher, higher level. And I just, my instincts tell me that if we kept a force in Afghanistan a year from now, two years from now, four years from now, there's going to be generals trying to convince the civilians at the Pentagon and in the White House to that we got to expand just a little and just a little bit more. And, you know, that's how these things happen. I will certainly certainly defer to your expertise and experience in that, uh, but that's the reason I wanted to ask. And the last question I have for you, Josh Mandel, about uh, our misadventures now in uh, Afghanistan, particularly as it pertains to the pullout, is what do we do with tens of thousands of Afghanis and their families who were allies, who were interpreters, who were transporters, and so forth, we all know what happens now. We all know that the Taliban is going to probably, before they kill, probably do cruel and inhumane things to these people and their families before killing them. Uh, so many of them are trying to scramble to get on board of our on board our cargo planes to try to find transport out of Afghanistan to a place that's safe. What should we do? Do we take them in here? Do we fund their stay somewhere else? How do we protect those who helped our troops while we were there? I think we should help them get out of country, but I do not think we should bring them to the United States. You know, I think we can help get them out of country. And I know some of the planes yesterday were going to Turkey. Perhaps some other planes will go to some other Muslim countries. But you know, I, I don't. I don't think those guys should be coming here to the United States. Um, I, I think you know, taking them to Muslim countries that are open to taking them in would make would make a lot more sense. And listen, you hit the nail on the head, Bob. That. For any of them that are left there, they're going to get massacred. I mean, this is, I remember when I was in Iraq, you know, we used to tell our interpreters when they had a day off, do not leave the base, do not leave the wire. And most of them listened to that, but some of the interpreters who left, they never came back. 
And, you know, you'd hear a week later or a month later that, you know, some other unit found the interpreter's head on the side of the road. I mean, right. Al-Qaeda was right. literally beheading, you know, anyone who would work with the Americans in Iraq. And obviously the Taliban is going to do the same thing um, to interpreters and others in Afghanistan. It's why you saw over the past week, you know, a lot of Afghani soldiers and police officers as their areas got overrun, they were taking off their uniform, uniforms and they were putting on their man dresses because they wanted to blend in with the rest of the population because they knew if if they were found by the Taliban wearing a, a army uniform or police uniform, you know, they they'd get publicly executed, massacred. And can I, Bob? I, I know you know we're short in time. Can I bring up one other thing that's just really under my skin on all this? And it's 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 the social media how. The Twitter and Facebook, they're allowing the Taliban on social media, but they won't allow President Trump on social media. I mean, it is. I actually I mean, posted something about that this morning. Same exact thing. It was a spokesperson for the, for the Taliban uh, account that I saw, and uh, I was blown away to me that they have access to these things, that they have, they're, they're mass murderers, they're jihadists, and so on and so forth, that have access to reach thousands of people by way of social media, but the former president of the United States, in fact, while he was the current president of the United States, they pulled that platform from him. I, I could not agree more. Yeah, it's it's completely outrageous and your listeners and every american they, they should know what these people believe you know, i'm going to read just a couple lines from real um, quick from sharia law out you're out of time yeah i said real quick for me because i am oh out yeah of time. real quick. quick lines yes. okay this is quote from sharia law you will not under any circumstance show your face you will cover with burqa when outside if you do not you will be severely beaten that is how they want to treat women there they also say you will not laugh in public. If you do, you will be beaten. Girls are forbidden from attending school. All schools for girls will be closed immediately. And it goes on and on and on. And, you know, that's what we're up against. And, you know, the, the woke military and the, and the, you know, the liberals here in America, what they're doing is they are softening the American warfighter when what we need is hardened American warfighters to keep America safe and keep that type of mindset, that type of Sharia law, that virus of Sharia law and radical Islam and if th- out of the United States. If you think it's bad for just general women and girls in uh, you know, uh, Islamic countries run by brutal organizations like the Taliban, wait until you see what they do to the family members, the women and girls of those interpreters and others who actually dared to help the United States. Josh Mandel, Marine Corps veteran, a candidate for United States Senate as well. Josh, thanks for coming on with your thoughts on this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Have a good one. 9.54. We'll come right back after this. AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 9.58. Let's squeeze a call or two in here before the top of the hour. We're going to talk to uh, another U.S. Senate candidate who's got some thoughts on Afghanistan, Mike Gibbons. He'll be joining me after the top of the hour. Charlie in Westlake. Charlie, thanks for uh, waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thank you for taking the call. Yes, don't you know if you remember about a month ago or so, I called in and I said, this is going to be a fiasco. What uh, Just leave the way these guys are leaving, and no country's ever going to want us to help them ever again. And I said, at the time, I go, we need veterans. We need veterans in the Senate that understand war. Because we're just, all, you know, like Josh Mandel said, we got lawyers running the place. And we're in trouble. 
we got crises everywhere. And I was just thinking, you know, Donald Trump said about Iraq, why don't we go, when we went in, why don't we take the oil? And I never understood why we didn't take the oil. And then even John McCain, who's the opposite of Donald Trump, said we could keep bases in Iraq for 100 years. We've been in Germany for 70. This is going to come back at us. All this stuff is going to come back at us probably within a few years. We're in trouble. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that, to be honest with you. I, uh, that's the reason I asked that last question of Josh Mandel, and I'm going to put the same question to the other candidates who are, who are coming up as well. And that is, you know, why, why do we have people on bases for decades and decades and decades in former war zones? You know, we fought in Germany and we fought in Europe and we have bases there. We fought in Korea and we have bases there. We, we fought, uh, in Asia. We have bases in Japan. We, why do we not have, uh, you know, the same type of mindset here? We fought to liberate the, the, the Afghani people people and it wasn't because of nation building as we need to point out we fought to liberate the afghani people because we needed to run the taliban uh, as dangerous as they are the supporters funders and trainers of al-qaeda out and once we did why do we not just commit to saying we're building a base here we're going to have a few thousand troops on hand on a rotational basis and we're always going to be there in support not as a primary fighting force but in support of the national defense of the Afghani people against the Taliban from coming back in. I don't understand why that's not an option. Yeah, last thought, Charlie. Just the step beyond that, I really believe the reason we went into Afghanistan is the same reason the Soviets went into Afghanistan. It was to check the Chinese from being able to march to the Middle East. And that's what Afghanistan is. It was a strategic thing. We believing there is... We're, China's coming right in, and they're going to come in and, and and be able to march into the Middle East, oil, everything. This, this is very bad. This is yeah. very bad. Well, we you're right about that part, too. Xi Jinping is smiling ear to ear right now. First, thanks for the call, Charlie. Because of, because of this decision and also just because of the weakness we just projected, again, under Joe Biden on the world stage. All right, we'll be back after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.